Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Utah Foundation President Peter Reichardt writes, There's no use in pretending anymore. Our national fabric has been tearing for decades. Political polarization is widening. The economic divide keeps growing. Solidarity is slipping away. Social capital is in decline. Social capital is what we'll talk about on the program today. That refers to bonds between people and among networks, which they can use to benefit themselves as uh, the group as a whole. And low levels of social capital often lead to poor economic and social outcomes, both for individuals and for populations. And the Utah Foundation has launched its Social Capital Series. This project consists of a series of reports, including more than 30 metrics compared over time against Utah's uh, neighboring mountain states and the nation. And so to talk about this, we bring in Utah Foundation President Peter Reichardt. Uh Welcome to the program. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate you uh, being with us. I want to start uh, maybe with the polling out a bit and then uh, then home in on uh, social capital. So um, you t- you had uh, for a luncheon, I think, the Utah Foundation, then you had on a podcast, uh, Shailen Romley uh, Garrett. Seems like a very interesting conversation. Interesting book. I'll have to check this out. She's co-author, along with Robert Putnam, of the book The Upswing, How America Came Together a Century Ago and How We Can uh, Do It Again. And you talked about those four, uh, th- those four, uh, I guess, themes that, uh, that you write about in, in your op-ed piece that I uh, quoted here. So we're talking about political polarization, economic divide, cultural solidarity, and social capital. Uh, maybe we could talk briefly about those others as well. And uh, Shailen Romney-Garrett says that we've never been more politically polarized than we are today, with one exception, she says, the Civil War, which uh, <laughs> sends a little bit of a chill up my back. It should. Um, so, and then she said that uh, she makes a, a comparison to the Gilded Age. Uh, I wonder if you see that as well uh, today to the Gilded Age. Yeah, she presented some really interesting data showing that there was um, an upswing in these four categories of, I guess, ways of measuring how unified the nation is um, that sort of culminated roughly around 1960 and then began a downward slide at that point. Now, in our research, we're focused on just one of those four areas of concern that she addressed, although we touch on others as well. But but um, this notion of social capital, and as you, you described it well at the top, you know, the bonds that we use to um, to connect each other and advance as individuals and as a society. Uh, so we, you know, we hear a lot about uh, political polarization. It seems to just be widening. Mm-hmm. Economic divide keeps widening. Uh, cultural solidarity. Uh, why did you choose that force, social capital, to, to uh, base this series of reports on? Well, it's something where we could go in and pull out very specific um, metrics. And uh, we ended up grouping these metrics into seven different categories. And we, we didn't use every possible metric that you could have used to measure social capital because we wanted to be able to con- compare over time how things have changed. You know, so if you have a, uh, a change over time, say, from, um, you know, uh, uh, looking at... Um, change over time from, I'm sorry, my dog was barking there, <laughs> live radio, <laughs> a change over time from um, uh, a survey ad hoc that was taken in 2006, you can't come back and see how things have changed. So we've been looking just at metrics that we could measure over time. Hmm. And we're looking at civic engagements, uh, social trust, family life, community life, social cohesion, focus on the future, and social mobility, all of those. Hmm. Why is social capital important? Well, it it really it's it's kind of stands in the background of everything we do in the public sector. So if things start to break down, um, then we have breakdowns that have to be addressed uh, in terms of socially. Uh, we have we have breakdowns that need to be addressed through either the school systems or economic development programs, things like that. And so it really does pose a challenge in that respect uh, to the public sector. Mm. Uh, well, let's jump in here and uh, get maybe some highlights from these reports. Seven so far, and you're heading toward an overall index, are you? Yes, that's correct. We will uh, have a summary piece that will be an eighth report that, that um, gives some summary on each one of these categories and also gives a total index-type number. 
And so, as you mentioned, then then this uh, I don't know. You'll do this annually or whatever you do that, that we can we can track our uh, our overall uh, uh, social capital index. Exactly. That's the point of having these metrics that we can go back to over time rather than one-off survey-type metrics. Yeah. Well, let's start with civic engagement. Um, I, I think people, you know, we, we know what civic engagement is. Uh, how are you defining this? What metrics are you using? Uh, we look at voter turnout. We look at citizen attendance at public meetings. And we look at the number of advocacy orga- organizations for the population. And um, and so we've seen interesting things with voter turnout. That's something we've followed closely for a number of years. Uh, it's been an area of concern in Utah because we've had very, very low voter, voter turnout. We've actually, if you go back a decade, we were languishing near the very bottom nationally. And so then you see the introduction of mail-in ballots. Um, really, Utah was, was ahead of the curve on, on, the, on the pandemic with this. And so after the mail-in ballots get their footing, the state rank surges to 13th among the 50 states when you go to the 2018 midterm election. Um, But (laughs) that's the good news. The bad news is when we get to the 2020 presidential election cycle, Utah ranked only 39th nationally and and fell to 6th among the mountain states. And some people say, well, maybe that's because Utah is in a battleground state, but but you look at Montana, they're not much of a battleground state, and they, they do much better than us on voter turnout. Uh, so we have a, an idea of why we drop so much? Um, well, I think we just kind of, the, 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 leveling, the, the playing field got leveled um, once other states went to a mail-in type ballot or a similar type uh, approach um, with the pandemic. Um, now, good news is, and I'll, I'll give one more piece of um, not-so-good news. When we look at our advocacy groups in Utah, we um, in 2020, we ranked 43rd in the nation on that particular metric. So we don't have a particularly robust group of uh, a, a collection of advocacy groups here in Utah. Now, with that said, we're finding really um, important ways to participate. So when you think about how could a citizen most possibly be engaged, it's, it's the attendance at public meetings. And on this one, Utah ranks up at the very top. We were number three behind Vermont and, and Maine on that one. So that's an area where we really do do well. And there are some in other categories and similar metrics like that where we're, we do a good job of showing up, put it that way. What, what kind of meetings? Uh, city council, uh, political yeah, caucuses? Sort of what, School board, yeah, city council, okay, that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, that's good news. That is good news, yeah. Um. And so those, uh, I guess, we're overall in this uh, ca- category. Where do we? Uh, where does Utah rank? Overall in this category, we are end up in the top half of states. So we're not, um, you know, because because of the the mediocre performance on those other two, um, the citizen attendance isn't isn't enough to bring us up to the top. Mm-hmm. I just mentioned here, Montana appears to be the the, the, the I guess the top of this report on on this area. That's correct. Yes. Yeah, Nevada at the bottom, <clears throat> and so you'll That's you'll right. be comparing not only to the nation but to uh, quote unquote peer states, Mountain West states as well. On these, right? We look at the, we look at the eight mountain states, correct, and for each one of these measures, so we have a kind of a regional comparison and. That's important to, to discern um, not only how do we compare to the, our neighborhood, but also are there certain patterns that emerge in our neighborhood, and oftentimes there are not. And so that's even more interesting. It shows that um, you know we could be anywhere on the board. Mm-hmm. So civic engagement in the top half, not the top, but in the top half anyway. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and mostly because we go to meetings, so that's a, that's a good thing. Um, let's go to social trust. Um, how do you find social trust? Social trust is basically, uh, do you trust your neighbor, would be the, the, the normal way of asking about social trust. But we actually expanded quite beyond that, um, looking at how much do we trust institutions. Um, and frankly, social trust in the United States has declined dramatically on a lot of fronts. Trust in government trust in the judgment of fellow citizens, trust of each other, trust in the mass media. Now, here in Utah, when you ask, do you trust your neighbor, you know, we're, we, we really do. We do trust our neighbors. Um, we also tend to have a higher degree of trust in, in ent- entities that are closer to us or institutions that are close, close to us. But the farther away you get from Utah, the more the trust goes down, whether it's the mass media or 
or the federal government. Mm. Um, now, um, because, you know, attitude surveys come and go, as, of, as I mentioned before, um, you know, we ended up looking at um, measures of whether Utah is trustworthy because the scientists, social scientists that have looked at this have determined that um, if people, if there's a low level of uh, social trust and attitudes, it usually does correspond with real reasons. In other words, if there's low social trust, um, there are usually higher levels of crime and conviction levels and things like that, and corruption levels that tend to correlate with that. So with this, when we looked at fraud convictions, um, there Utah did very well. We only one other state at lower level of convictions. Um, Utah has the lowest level of breach of trust penalties. That's when that's when you use your abuse your position to gain some personal advantage. Um, when it comes to federal corruption convictions, Utah performed second best in the nation. Only only Wyoming did better. And then when we look at violent crime, which kind of gives you a sense of neighborhood level trust, um, Utah was part of a cluster of, of uh, three mountain states with Wyoming and Idaho that had um, rates violent crime rates well below the national average. Um, and interestingly, if you go to the rest of the region, the other states were actually above the, the average for violent crime. So when you take all that together, you know, you look at Utah, really, we're in the top national top five in terms of these measures of social trust. And as I said earlier, when you look at the attitude surveys that come and go, we do, we do well on that as well. I want to ask about this. Uh, there's a survey you cite in an op-ed that it, you know that came out about the time that this uh, the results of this uh, study came out. One major survey found that whereas in 2007, 57% of Americans believed in the wisdom of the American people in making political decisions, that number had plummeted to about a third by 2015, stayed low through 2019. Um, so uh, you said previously uh, just there that uh, as you scope out I guess you talk about Americans, the trust uh, goes mm-hmm. down, but Utahns, maybe we trust each other uh, better. So, but I understand you're, you're getting at some of these, you know, fraud and some of these others, which kind of get to social trust. I don't know if we have any direct uh, surveys here in Utah about this particular, uh, which would seem to me to be maybe prone to being, uh, you know, lower, uh, that we trust each other on everything but politics. Well, you know, look, it, it's a matter of who each, who we need each other. So I'll give you this example. If you go and walk down the street in your neighborhood and you just talk to the first five random people that you know or that you, that you come across, maybe you don't know, um, you're going to talk about things that are of common concern to you, and you're probably not going to have much of a disagreement among you. You'll, you'll, you'll focus on the same problems. Now, when we, when we zoom out to this national level, where we have uh, the national media who, I hate to say it as a former journalist myself, that the profit model has become conflict and acrimony, um, there, you know, um, the attitudes reflect that, you know, and, and when we look at the, the growing gap, not only in nationally, but in Utah, we do see a growing gap between the parties, you know, the um, Republicans and independents have moved somewhat to the left over the past couple of decades, and Democrats have moved much further to the left. And so the gap has actually grown in terms of, uh, of the political parties. But that doesn't mean that when you walk down the street or you go to do business, you have a feeling that, um, you know, you're on opposite sides of a division. Hmm. Uh, we'll just mention here, this This isn't you know directly in your metrics, but we know from uh, from surveys, trust in the national news media has, has plummeted, continues to plummet, I think. Correct. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, and again, I think it's an opportunity for the news media to take a look at themselves, because as we've said, a lot of times when social trust goes down, it's not for no reason. Mm. Um. And trust in the government, uh, you know, very famously, that's it continues to go down. It, it seems like you can't go any further, and then it goes down some more. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. But again, keeping in mind that the distance of the government entity from you is going to increase the distrust. So if you're looking at Washington, there's going to be a 
among people here in Utah, there's going to be tend to be much more distrust than looking at their own local government. And I guess the the, the fact that Utahns go to the, go to their meetings, go to the city council, uh, perhaps indicates uh, trust in in most proximate uh, form of government, the local government. That's yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll uh, get into some of these other, uh, well, all the other uh, reports. Utah Foundation uh, is uh, releasing reports in its Social Capital Series. The project consists of a series of reports, which includes more than 30 metrics compared over time and against Utah's neighboring mountain states and the nation, having to do with social capital. And we have with us uh, Utah Foundation President Peter Reichard. Uh, we'll have more following this. Did you know the opioid epidemic disproportionately affects Native American reservations and rural communities in Utah and New Mexico? Many organizations are coming together to create spaces where health experts, tribal leaders, and community members can work together to fight opioid addiction. Communities are being informed and empowered with health and wellness summits, naloxone training, harm reduction training for treatment professionals in rural counties, and life skills reintroduction classes for individuals in recovery. These efforts rely heavily on storytelling to help reduce the stigma associated with opioid and substance addiction so that individuals, families, and communities can seek treatment and overcome addiction together. This segment of Did You Know That has been brought to you by our members and the Emma Eccles-Jones College of Education and Human Services, committed to mentoring tomorrow's educators, researchers, and clinicians, located on campuses in Logan and 26 other sites throughout Utah. Support for Utah Public Radio comes from listeners like you and Salt Lake City Weekly a Utah news source since 1984, covering news, politics, music, and more in Salt Lake City and beyond. Available weekly at 1,800 locations across the Wasatch Front or online at cityweekly.net. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. The Utah Foundation is uh, issuing a series of reports. A uh, very important uh, area, social capital is the focus of these reports. It's their Social Capital series, and the project consists of a series of reports including more than 30 metrics compared over time against Utah's neighboring mountain states and the nation. Uh, what will happen in the, in the end is a Social Capital Index, and uh, Utah Foundation will revisit this periodically. And uh, <clears throat> using these metrics, we can tell where we are on uh, Social Capital which is an important part of uh, the fabric of the nation, right? Uh, political polarization, economic divide, uh, cultural solidarity, um, those are all in decline. Social capital is in decline as well. The good news, as we've heard in the first uh, two reports, um, Utah or Utah's doing well in at least some areas of those. So let's uh, move to the next one. We, by the way, we have Utah Foundation President Peter Reichardt on with us uh, here. So let's move to the uh, third area. The third report has to do with community life in Utah. Peter Reichert, I was interested in your report. You, uh, you quote Alexis de Tocqueville, Democracy in America. This is, um, uh, he, he talked about the Americans' vibrant art of association. Certainly, yeah. It's a, it's a um, key characteristic associated with American culture. Those who come from the outside note the way that we combine with each other and help each other out in a crisis and all of that. But unfortunately, this characteristic of our culture, and certainly from the time of the Tocqueville, is in, is in long-term decline. And, um, and so, but, you know, uh, there's, as far as Utah goes, comparatively speaking, there is some, there is some good news for us here. Uh, so where, uh, where is Utah doing well? What metrics are doing, we doing well in? Well, we look at charitable giving. We have a donation. It's not even close. And 66% of Utahns made donations in 2019 compared to only 50% of Americans overall. So that put us second in the nation on charitable giving. Um, you look at volunteerism. Um, we have formed the nation on that. No, no state has a culture of volunteerism like ours, so we lead the nation there. Um, we also, the most recent data put us in first place nationally when we look at weekly religious service attendance. However, just as with the rest of the nation, there's been a significant decline in religious service attendance. Um, and we have 
by far the nation's highest level of neighborhood participation. And that's, uh, that, I think that kind of goes hand in hand with that, that at, um, citizen attendance at public meetings metric we gave earlier. You know, that idea of participating in neighborhood meetings or neighborhood projects, I think that's, uh, quite related to the civic engagement piece we talked about earlier. Mm. So on those four items, we do, uh, we're top of the nation. Um, <laughs> and then um, either one or two in the nation. Uh, but then when we look at our organizations, how do we how do we get together, whether it's non-professional organizations or professional organizations, um, we're either below average or in the case of non-professional organizations, we're actually last in the nation on that one. So very interesting contrast here. Well, uh, what are we talking about with non-professional organizations? Well, what organizations that people get together in for... Uh, purposes other than these would not be these would be different from advocacy groups for, for um, political purposes, but organizations people get together in for non-professional purposes. So that's a pretty pretty wide range of possibilities there. Well, is this the Rotary Club that kind of thing? I guess yeah, it could be. Yeah, yeah. Well, it could be that. It could be um, you know a club, uh, the bowling league. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's the, the proverbial bowling league. It could be the model airplane club, but uh, could be the knitting club or whatever. Hmm. Um, below national average, I understand, for professional organizations per capita as well. Below average, correct, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and so when you look at this, and you look at the strong performance in the other metrics, it leads you to the thought, hmm, well, it looks like Utahns are getting their these social needs met through means other than these professional and non-professional organizations, relatively speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could hazard a guess, uh, this is just my own <laughs> guess, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, dominant religion. Um, uh, you know, yeah. a, lot of, a lot of people uh, get a lot of their needs met uh, socially just in the, in the ward. Yeah, that's, that's certainly um, that's our assumption that that's uh, a driving factor. Yeah. Uh, overall, how how does Utah do uh, here in uh, with uh, community life? Yeah, well, this is an area where we really clearly um, lead the nation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll you'll um, you'll be monitoring this over time. That'll be that'll be the one of the yeah. We'll be we'll be coming back to these metrics on a on you know at least a ten year basis, but if not, if not, it'll be every five years. You yeah. know, it just depends on whether there's enough fresh data to, to come back to. Uh, so the next one up is family life, um, you know, important part of the social fabric. Um, what are the metrics you're using here? Um, looking, a lot of them have to do with structure, you know, um, whether we're marrying, whether um, births are to marry children, are children in single-parent or two-parent families, um, all, but also some of the activities of family life. What is our children, young children being read to? Are they spending a lot of time on electronic devices? Are families eating together daily? So it's kind of twofold. You've got multiple metrics where we're looking at structure and then multiple metrics where we're looking at family activities. Uh, by the way, are these things surveyed? How, how are you getting the, the, those metric families eating together, I guess? Uh, oh, yes, multiple, surveyed. right. Uh-huh. So yeah. um, multiple uh, survey sources, yes. Yeah, Okay. Um, so interestingly here, um, I guess Utah was declining, I understand, a couple of these metrics, and then the pandemic hit. Right. So as far as structure goes, I mean, you got to give it to Utah on this. I mean, we just, and this is what you would guess. You know, we, we, when we look at births to married women, you know, um, we, the nation and our neighboring states, Idaho and Colorado are up there at the top with us as well. When you just look at you know, marrying itself. We do a lot of marrying. <laughs> We're, um, we have the nation's highest proportion of, of married adults. And then our neighbors, Idaho and Wyoming, are, are second and third on that one. So we see some regional trends emerging here. Um, share of children and single-parent families, well below the national average. Only 16% of Utah children are, are in these single-parent families, and nationally it's closer to a third. So this is really 27% really a big difference from the national picture. Um, and here again, Wyoming and Idaho do well on this one. And so you, you just look at these metrics of, of, you know, 
family formation and family structure and family preservation and raising kids in that two-parent environment, which frankly is not something you can ignore and do public a lot of public policy work, honestly. I mean, it has so much of an effect on, on education and social programming and um, mental health and things like that. It really is a critical metric um, that we sort of ignore at our peril. So if you look at all of this um, structure-wise, Utah is looking great. Um, now, when we look at some of the activities, family activities, Utah was actually in, in unfortunately, in rapid decline. Um, we ended up in the bottom 10 states in reading to young children. Can you believe that? That surprises me, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, when we look at families eating together daily, um, we were the nation's 11th worst by 2019. We just saw this, this massive decline. By 2019, we were the 11th worst in the nation. Um, and then with the recreational electronic device, Utah, like the rest of the nation, um, you know, just had been on this rapid um, trend in the wrong direction. You know, just kids spending a lot more time on recreational electronic devices. And that's why I say recreational is because it means not using a computer for homework, but playing video games and, and social media and that, watching TV, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so, so um, now, what's really interesting here is that when the pandemic hit, all of a sudden, parents start reading to their young children. Um, families start eating together every day, <laughs> you know? And so we saw this, this real change in family behavior that, if you think these things are important, then this is a very positive change. And, of course, the question is going to become, did we like that enough to make sure that we're going to preserve it as we've now moved forward um, past this pandemic lockdown-type era? And um, now, bad news is that the recreational electronic device use just you know, continued sharply up during that same time period. And, um, and so the point that we're making here is, look, there's only so much time in childhood. There's only so much time in a day. And if you've got big pieces of the pie going to the electronic devices and not to family time, we're, you know, eventually that's going to come back and bite us. And we don't, we're not even sure how yet, but it's clear that this is less than ideal. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we go on, on to the next uh, area, which is social cohesion, I want to uh, pause and uh, talk about how, I, I guess, the, these reports might inform public policy. Um, that's one area, right, that could have an effect. But um, I don't know, what, what other groups? Uh, maybe families could look at this, uh, uh, you know. Certainly, yeah, that, that, this is one where we're hoping that, that uh, parents take this to heart and think about how much time, because what is the government going to do about it, you know? Um, so parents have to really think about how much time um, their children are devoting to this recreational technology versus, you know, building relationships, whether it be within the family or outside of the family. You know, we also deal in this report with, you know, um, investments in recreation and just we do talk about the importance of, of kids spending time in recreational activities as well. But, but within the context of the family, the you know, parents have a lot of control over the clock, theoretically. And but boy, is it hard nowadays to to monitor and pay attention to not only um, what kids are looking at, but how much time they're spending looking at these devices. And just to emphasize again, low levels of social capital often lead to poor economic and, and social outcomes. Right, not only for individuals but for populations. That's yes. I guess one reason why you've selected this. That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the next uh, the, the next report. Uh, you took a look at social cohesion. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. I think I know what that means. How do you define that? Well, there's a lot of ways you can define it, and you know, we tried to stick to things that were sort of the least theoretical. Um, you know, we you could get in all kinds of tribal differences or tribal unities, and those things can often cut both ways. So what we, we looked at was, okay, let's look at economic stratification. Are we a highly stratified society economically, or do we have a strong middle class? We looked at English language proficiency. 
because if you don't, if you're not proficient in English, it's just the name of the game. You're um, you're not going to be able to fully participate in, in this. You're not going to be able to attain um, proper amount of social capital. Um, we also looked at just kind of a basic thing: what percentage of people in the state were born here? So that's kind of that homegrown population picture. Um, and found a lot of interesting things here. As you might imagine, um, Utah has a really strong middle class. As of 2019, we were, you know, number one in the nation, and, and not only number one, but out, outperforming the nation and even the second strongest state by notable margins. So that's one we're, we're really strong. And it's, you know, it's really a hallmark of what American society's been is, you know, strong middle class, not too much economic stratification. But as you mentioned at the top of the show, that economic stratification has been growing over the past 50 years. And so um, so that's not a road that we want to head down. Um, go ahead. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I was going to ask, what produces a strong middle class? Like a strong economy, maybe education? What what are the subtractors? Yeah, well, look, education really, and we've done a lot of work on this in other reports recently, but, and we'll continue to. But education really has become this dividing line between the haves and have-nots. And so, and by the way, this is why English language proficiency is so important, because if you don't have that English language proficiency at home, um, or you don't attain it rather rapidly within school, that's going to hamstring you in terms of your educational attainment. But the dividing line between people who stopped at a high school degree less and those who have some kind of post-secondary degree or skill certification is pretty stark, particularly in a robust economy like Utah's. I mean, we could really use all hands on deck, and there are plenty of jobs out there that, you know, you don't have to have a four-year degree or an advanced degree to walk into a middle-class or even upper-middle-class job, depending on the, the skills that you obtain. And so that really, um, the, getting more people in the game is really important to avoiding social strat- the economic stratification. Mm. Uh, interestingly, uh, one of these metrics um, in this area, uh, the share of Utah residents born in the state. Right. Um, the state ranks 19th in the nation. Um, so you say, okay, big deal, that's close to the middle. But what is is interesting about this is that um, the rest of the mountain states have very, very low proportions of native-born residents. So most of the states in our in our region are well below average on this count, and some are some of them are among the very, very lowest. So Utah's proportion of state natives is actually more than double that of our neighboring state, Nevada. And so that's going to have significant impacts on the culture of the place and the sense of continuity and you know yeah i grew i grew up you know you you, you go into the drugstore and you run into the you know guy or girl that you went to uh grammar school with and so those those sorts of little things that that help build social capital if you have a very low native population it's going to be harder to have those connections uh, of course some would argue that you know the diversity is good right um um, and and so that maybe you need a mix of that, you know, it, uh, you know, the solidarity sure. of, of growing up with someone versus you uh, encountering new people. Sure, and there's also an economic argument to be made. I mean, if you look at some of the um, the states with the highest proportion of native-born population, they may be very diverse states um, compared to Utah, but they're they're poor performing economically. And um, and so what, what ends up happening is you have people that are there maybe because they're trapped or, um, if you were cynical, you could say unambitious, you know. And, um, and so having a high native-born population doesn't necessarily mean that you've got a robust economy where everything is exactly the way you'd want it to be. All it means is that you have a higher likelihood of forming um, those social networks. Uh, let's uh, take another break. When we come back, we'll uh, we'll uh, look at the last two uh, studies in this series, the Social Capital Series from Utah Foundation. This is a project consisting of a series of reports, including more than 30 metrics uh, compared over time and against Utah's neighboring mountain states and the nation. And uh, in the end, uh, Utah Foundation will uh, develop a 
social capital index, which they can periodically come back to to see uh, shorthand how we're doing in this uh, important area. We have Peter Reichard with us. He's Utah Foundation president. We'll have more following this break. Support for Utah Public Radio comes from listeners like you and Utah Festival Opera and Musical Theater in Logan, presenting Carmen. Set in southern Spain, the naive soldier Don Jose is seduced by the fiery gypsy Carmen, music made famous by Bugs Bunny, starring nationally renowned singer Audrey Babcock. Information at utahfestival.org. Support also comes from the Lyric Repertory Company, presenting Disney's Freaky Friday the Musical. When an overworked mother and her teenage daughter magically swap bodies, they have one day to put things right again. Performances through July 30th. Tickets and details at lyricrep.org. I've recently been talking to a host of top Utah corporate leaders about their family-friendly practices and policies, particularly as they relate to recruiting, retaining, and advancing women. I'm always interested in organizational strategies that companies implement to support women and their families. I'm Dr. Susan Madsen, founding director of the Utah Women in Leadership Project. In this sixth episode, I highlight Recursion, which was founded to use science and technology to change the world for the better. Listen now at upr.org. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Uh, quoting from a, an op-ed uh, from Utah Foundation President Peter Reichard, uh, our national fabric's been tearing for decades, political polarization's widening, economic divide keeps growing, solidarity slipping away, social capital is in decline. And these are things that we've been uh, noticing, of course. And uh, social capital is where Utah Foundation's been focusing on a series of reports, their social capital series. And we're talking about those reports on the program uh, today talking with Utah Foundation President uh, Peter Reichard. Uh, so let's go to the next uh, report, the uh, which looks at the next generation, our, our youth. Uh, what metrics mm-hmm. are you looking at here? Well, really what we wanted to determine here is how much is Utah focused on the next generation, which is a way of saying how much are we focused on the future. And, um, and that's kind of a hallmark of whether people are invested in a place or not. You know, when you're looking at the welfare of the kids of the next generation, that ends up being a really important um, indicator from that standpoint. So we've looked at investments in parks and recreation. We looked at, uh, which, by the way, is not just kids. That's adults as well. But, you know, it's, it's kind of the best indicator we could get of how much we were investing in, in kids' um, play lives. Uh, we've also looked at um, K-12 education spending, uh, birth rate, you know, whether we're actually having kids, um, and then looking at youth organizations as well. So those are the metrics that we picked out here. So where, where is Utah doing well? Well, we're, we're doing well in actually multiple categories, but th- that doesn't mean the trend is in the right direction. So when we look at our public investments in parks and recreation, and this is relative to income, rather than just raw dollars. Um, those, those relative investments have generally been in decline. We're still in the top five nationally, but they have generally been in decline. So that's worth noting, I think. Um, when we look at our K-12 education spending, and again, this is, this is um, relative. This is per $1,000 of personal income. It declined to a notable degree from 2008 to 2019. Um, falling by more than one-fifth. So we're now actually below the national average on our relative K-12 spending. And by the way, I'll just note here, there's a lot of different ways of measuring K-12 spending. This is the one that we're that makes the most sense for this particular analysis. Um, we look at our birth rate, you know, okay, so not surprisingly, you know, Utah leads the nation our birth rate, but our birth rate has been in precipitous decline as it has been nationally. Um, and then and it'll be interesting to see, apparently there's some 2021 data showing an uptick, and it'll be interesting to see whether that 2021 data um, you know, plays out in, in Utah as well or how it plays out. We just don't have that information yet because it's not, it's not available. Um, and then when we look at our, our youth organizations, um, we actually, Utah and Arizona, we're last in the nation in the number of youth organizations. 
And you might say, well, that's, you know, youth are, are doing a lot of their, um, getting a lot of their organizational activity through the church, and uh, certainly there's some truth to that, but but that doesn't necessarily explain Arizona, and it, it's not, and you can't call it a regional type thing either, because Wyoming and, and Montana have some of them, are some of the most prolific in terms of youth organizations. Um, so I, I guess the bottom line here is that, you know, we've got these kind of downward tw- trends that may be intertwined. Um, and, you know, you could argue, based on this, that maybe we're losing a little bit of focus on the next generation. It's interesting uh, that, that you chose uh, recreation um, as one of these. Yep. Maybe you can explain a little more fully why why you did that uh, relative to our focus on, um, you know, I, uh, you know, kids play in parks, right? <laughs> is, right. Is, is that the, I guess that's it? Certainly, as I mentioned, you know that, that's a, that's an investment that adults directly benefit from as well. Um, however, you know the ability to um, to have places to play, to have kids to interact with, team sports, all of that is really important to building character, grit, soft skills, um, the ability to work in a team. Unfortunately, the participation in team sports has been in decline, and part of it's got to be because the expense of it is going up so much. So if you've got to play on a soccer team um, for, you know, a season, and you, you, you've got to be able to come up with $800 or $1,000 to play on the team, now you've sort of just eliminated a chunk of the child population that's able to participate in that. And so we really need to pay attention to this because we don't want to create haves and have-nots with all the kind of um, socialization and personal character-building skills that come with participation in sports. Uh, interesting that um, I, I, all over uh, birth uh, rates are declining, right? Utah's been a precipitous decline, but we still lead the nation? We still lead the nation, um, yeah. and... Uh, you know, and I'll leave it to the experts to kind of decide what's what's exactly behind all of this. But it is getting tougher to be a parent. It's it's more expensive to raise a kid than it used to be, um, and uh, much less five kids. And so when you look at that, I mean, I come from a family of five kids, and, and uh, you know. If I, if it seemed like it was a lot easier back then, both logistically, you know, our, our parents just sort of let us run outside until it got dark. And, you know, and uh, parents are much more protective now, and they've got to get their kids involved in a lot of um, of activities and, and things like that. And, of course, all the challenges of technology. So just it's more difficult to be a parent, but then it's also you look at the cost side. There's so many expenses associated with parenting now that, that didn't exist before. And just a lot of social challenges, too, that, that maybe some people just don't have the stomach for. Mm. Let's look at the last report. Uh, this is uh, interesting. It has to do with social mobility. Um, so w- uh, why is social mobility important to social capital? Well, social mobility... Um, that, that ability to move up the economic ladder, which also implies a social ladder. Um, you know, when you live in a place where that's possible, then people tend to operate with more of an optimistic attitude about their future. And, um, and so when you don't have that, trust breaks down. When you have a system of haves and have-nots, there tends to be lower social trust, just as one example. Um, and so, uh, and also, you know, some studies have found kind of a higher degree of economic stagnation as well. Um, so we look at educational attainment, which is an obvious one. We talked a little bit about that before with regard to the middle class. We looked at home ownership. We also looked at intergenerational economic mobility, and um, we're looking forward to a new round of, 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 or a new generation of data coming forward in the next couple of years to give us some new information on this. And then um, we also uh, look at youth engagement in in education, training, or the workforce. So this idea of you don't want to have too many disengaged youth. So engagement would mean that you're in school or you're in some kind of training program or you're actually already working 
when you're in that kind of 18 to um, early 20s age range. So where is Utah doing well among these metrics? Well, we look at educational attainment. Now, importantly here, we're just looking at four-year degrees because of data limitations. So we would have loved to have looked at certifications and, and, and other things. But here we're just looking at bachelor's degree or higher. Um, we actually do well in our neighborhood. Only Colorado outperform, or outperforms us among the mountain states in the percentage of populations with a four-year degree. Um, but nationally, we're in the top third of states. So, you know, pretty good, but not the best. Um, when we look at home ownership, um, we outperform our whole neighborhood on that, and we're actually ranked sixth na- nationally on that metric. Now, one thing that we're concerned about here is with the rapid rise in home prices that we've seen in Utah in recent years, where you're seeing 30% year-over-year um, price increases, things like that, that's not yet reflected in this number. And so um, it, it'll just be interesting to see how that plays out over the next five years or so, see if that really um, has a negative impact on our home ownership rate here in Utah. But right now, we're you know in the top 10, so that's a good place to be. The, and that home ownership, that, yeah, that is a worry. You know, the, the younger generation, are they going to be able to have that American dream? It's certainly, it's, it's certainly for a growing proportion of the population, it's slipping out of reach. We know that. We've done math on it. And so that is a real thing. It's a real problem. And, uh, and so, you know, it, it, it's the kind of thing, there's, there's not a silver bullet. Um, but, you know, so there, you've got this kind of hand, all hands on deck opportunity to take. But one important thing that we've been emphasizing is our, our local governments need to look for ways to open up the playbook to provide a wider range of home ownership opportunities so that it's not um, the only option is the 4,000 square foot house on the quarter acre or half acre lot. We've got to, we've got to have a, a, something um, a lower wrong on the ladder, I guess, than that, to allow people to get into that home ownership um, game. Uh, so, yeah, some possible solutions there. Um, if this were to continue, if this were to become solidified, that we know we just can't get into homes anymore, this would, as the reason you have this on this metric, this would have a serious effect on um, social capital. Yeah, and I think if you want to see what the future would look like, you can just go to California, where, you know, only about half the population is in home ownership. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, so th- those are the those are the reports. You're heading toward an index. Um, I wonder, I'd like to return here. Uh, we just have uh, about three or four minutes left in the conversation. I want to return to, uh, you know, brought, uh, pulling back out, your conversation with uh, yeah. Sheila and Romney Garrett, again, a co-author with Robert sure. Putnam of The Upswing, How America, and America Came Together a Century Ago and How We Can Do It Again. And uh, you can yep. hear uh, you can hear her, uh, I think, with you on a podcast at utahfoundation.org, right? That's uh, correct, yeah. Um, and so uh, you talked a little bit about with her and uh, in this op-ed piece as well, about maybe some solutions, not only uh, in the area of social capital, but, uh, you know, we mentioned polarization and, uh, you know, reduced reduction in social cohesion and economic decline. Mm-hmm. Um, what uh, what are some solutions? Well, let me say first say that we have seen some positive um, trends in recent years. And so I guess the news isn't all bad. We've seen some movement in the right direction both in Utah and nationally, in terms of when you look at social capital um, writ large. But I think in terms of not only social capital, but this broader picture of, of the national divides or divides, um, even at the state level, you, you know, as being Utah Public Radio, um, that there are a lot of important issues that you're covering there on your radio station at our state level or local level. And unfortunately, a lot of the attention of the public is consumed by what's happening in Washington, kind of the drama du jour. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, that's kind of the profit model of our national level media. Um, we need to find ways to 
bring people in closer contact and more interested in their local and state um, issues that actually have a much more direct impact on their lives in which in which they can actually have much more of, of an impact themselves. Um, and so I think that's one thing. There's going to be a lot more common ground that we'll find there. Um, and then and at the individual level, also kind of thinking locally, um, operating more at that, uh, that reaching out at a, at the family, um, neighborhood, the local city, and up to state level, kind of forming those bonds here within our state and, uh, and reaching across some of these divides that, as I mentioned earlier, don't necessarily apply to us. When we, when we walk down the street and have those conversations with our neighbor, we tend to more or less agree on the big challenges. Um, so these reports can be found at uh, utahfoundation.org, right? Yes. Uh, and the, the index, when you get it, I'm sure will be there as well. And uh, we just have a, maybe a minute left uh, here at the end. Uh, give you a chance to tell us what else the Utah Foundation does. Good. Well, we've uh, released a multi-part study on what we refer to as the missing middle of the housing market, ways that our local governments can, can expand housing options for people. Like um, just, you know, um, anything from small lot, single family to duplexes to some of those lower impact multifamily type options that blend in with our neighborhoods and um, where we can kind of preserve the quality of life that we enjoy, but providing more housing options to people at the same time. We're also continuing to look at, we'll have a um, survey coming out on quality of life and what attitudes are about quality of life here in Utah. Um, we're continuing to look at educational attainment and ways to um, to increase that, that educational attainment, which we said earlier is so important to making sure we avoid economic stratification. Um, and I could go on and on. We've got so many projects mm-hmm. underway that I think would be of a lot of interest to your audience. Yeah, so uh, check it out at utahfoundation.org, utahfoundation.org. Well, we'll be talking about social capital, and uh, there's a series of reports on social capital Uh, You can find those at utahfoundation.org. We've been talking with Utah Foundation President Peter Reichard. Peter Reichard, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks, everyone, for listening to Access Utah. Reporter Amanda Robb has been looking for answers about her uncle's death since 1998. He was shot and killed at home in front of his wife and children. He was targeted because he performed abortions. Is his murder connected to a string of unsolved shootings? From what I understand from the police, we were stalked for a year. On the next Reveal. Saturday at noon on Utah Public Radio. Hello, listeners. I'm Shireen Gorbani, Salt Lake County Councilwoman. Join us for both sides of the aisle. This is a weekly debate over politics, policy, and big issues facing the state of Utah, featuring voices on the right, in the center, and on the left. That's me. Both Sides of the Aisle attempts to help you understand the important questions facing the residents of this state. We prove that you can still put Republicans and Democrats in a small room and have meaningful dialogue. Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. on Utah Public Radio. UPR is a statewide member-supported service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSU-FM Logan, KCEU Price, KUST Moab, KUSL Richfield, KUSK Vernal, KUSR Logan. Also heard at UPR.org or on the UPR app.